If everything said or written about how to foster congregational growth were printed out and tacked together end on end, that kite tail would probably stretch around the globe a dozen times. And there are at least a dozen or more theories. If I knew the answer, I'd probably be the minister at a huge church in a big city. But I don't. What I do know is that there are probably a few core concepts and ideas and actions that are crucial to congregational growth and that the trappings and extras are mostly context-driven. So I guess you all might be thinking, if I don't know the answers and we haven't grown very much recently, what am I doing up here talking about it? Well... Because the growth of our congregation and new, fresh membership is critical to our place in the community. The general assumption is that with more new members, even though our expenses would rise somewhat, additional revenue would generate more revenue to operate the church. Now, I'm a very practical person. But is that really the reason to grow our church? Is that really the reason we want to share the beauty of this community with others? If it is, we have no right to call ourselves a church. Because the reason for building a church is to share the joy, to share the wonder, to share the inclusiveness of this fabulous faith we know as Unitarian Universalism. This faith is a treasure not to be hidden under a bushel or closeted, but shared with a world that is hungry for free thinking, a world that is hungry to question without fear of rebuff, a world that is hungry for acceptance, a world that is hungry for free discussion of ideas, a world that wants to learn more about the great religious philosophies, theologies, and contemporary times. Now, if you were not here, Shreveport and Bossier City would lack a seriously committed liberal religious congregation, one that encourages free thought and free expression and respects different beliefs and approaches to life. The problem with such respect for individual thinking and beliefs and moral frameworks is that same virtue makes it more difficult for us to come together as a unit, as a cohesive Unitarian body where a respectful majority includes an opposing minority, and an opposing minority on any given question considers the welfare of the larger group more than its own individual or small group interests. Yet show that respect we must. This is far from impossible. It just takes work intentionality about the way we go about our business and self-governance and the way we treat one another. What is it we offer that other congregations, other churches, other denominations do not? No hell. Salvation for everyone. That's a pretty good deal. No fear. 
We offer a religion that over the past 200 years has continued to develop spiritually, intellectually, theologically, and thanks to universalism, has released us from that fear of burning in eternal hellfire after death, or screaming and writhing in purgatory, awaiting final judgment. Now, I look at this new wrinkle as a blessing. It takes a person with a certain depth of thought and study to break with religious traditions that hold people closely with the threat of hell or the promise of everlasting life. Heaven, where we meet God or Jesus and all our loved ones who have passed on before us. It's a nice thing to look forward to, you know? Now, small children... And some grown-ups require the threat of strong punishment to prevent them from breaking laws or misbehaving. And some people rely on the fear of hell to keep them honest. Fear of punishment can be very effective. But it isn't a very high level of moral development. Some people never progress beyond that stage of moral and ethical development, never progress beyond fear of punishment, and never internalize their own guidelines for what is right and wrong. They never learn to do the right thing because they know it's right, but they depend on others and religions that promise punishment for misdeeds to keep them from stealing or lying or cheating or harming others. Lots of people flock to churches that offer rewards of heaven, eternal life, meeting their friends and family in a glorious afterlife to bulwark them against the temptations of evil and immorality. When you study stages of moral and cognitive development in children, you learn that only with a certain maturity do young people learn to do the right thing because it is right. And they know it deep inside them rather than to avoid punishment. That's why parenting and religious education are so crucial. That's why we stress covenants of responsible and respectful behavior in our children's religious education. And that's why we are developing a covenant for our own communications as a congregation as well. Since so much of religion is about avoiding death and hoping for eternal life, the reward of heaven and the punishment of hell, since not all but a lot of people still depend on those hopes and promises of eternal life and salvation, how in the world do we compete and make our message of doing the right thing for its own sake more attractive than the hope of a life in heaven? That's a hard job. I don't think we do, at least not directly. We don't compete directly for that. This is not an argument that can be won through rational discussion, at least not in my experience. We may honestly think or feel that our way is better, but we would be truly disrespectful if we claimed that our way were better, since we believe that each person needs to search for and find his own truth in the manner most suitable 
to each individual person. Some of the workshops and papers and studies on congregational growth stress the importance of friendly but not overbearing welcomes. That means hugs but not too tight. Attractive snacks. Good coffee. We have good coffee. Inspiring sermons. Sometimes. Beautiful music, including including choirs every time they sing. Convenient parking. Attractive decor. And religious education programs that children and youth look forward to. An excellent religious education program is critical. And I'm prouder than proud to say that we have one. Not only that, we've developed a stimulating and fine adult religious education program that, with both daytime and evening programs. Even supper on Thursday nights. Why cook? You can come here. While all those things are basic and necessary, they are not sufficient for building a thriving and energetic and growing congregation. What makes the difference? Is it the minister? Well, partly. But what I think makes the real difference, what causes people to want to worship with us, learn with us, work with us and play with us is more than the minister or any of all those qualities I listed. The best descriptor I can think of is some combination of spirit and sense of purposeness that I call hardiness just for to have a word for it. You know, people who stay healthy in the face of enormous stress that provokes illness in some people, people who stay well in spite of stressful challenges, who have a strong inner sense of self, a strong sense of spirit that informs them that they have the ability to control their lives, to influence their environment. In other words, what we do matters, and we can make a difference. People who are guided by a sense of purpose that satisfies their need to feel like an important player in the world. This might be a person who can manage resources and can influence and persuade others to become more than they have been in the past. What a wonderful gift. With individuals, the term for that is hardiness and purposeful living, doing our best to do what's right because we want to, not because we fear punishment if we don't. In other words, we meet the world with a strong, not overbearing sense of self and sense of purpose. If asked, each one of us should be able to explain to anyone who asked just what it is about our church our congregation, our faith that makes it special to us? Is it lack of fear? Is it the respect that we show for every person, whatever the person's social class, race, gender, or sexual orientation? Is it our journey toward inclusiveness? We are free to search for truth in our own ways, but does that mean that we have no framework or basic guidelines for our behavior? Absolutely not. We find the principles and purposes of our faith helpful, liberating, 
and responsible. Do each of you carry one of these little cards with the principles and purposes written on them? If you don't already have one, pick up one today and carry it with you. Can you name at least three of those principles? Can anybody name one? The interconnected web. What's another one? What, 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 Melly? Respect for the dignity of each person. What's another one? Encouragement to spiritual growth. Free and responsible search. Y'all are pretty good. Now, I just ask you, I want you to stop for just a second, okay? And I want you to pretend that you're in the shopping mall or the grocery store or someplace. And somebody you know comes up and asks you, says hello, asks you, and says, you know, what is it about your church? I want you to stop and think a moment. Just take a minute. And what in about one or two sentences would you say to that person? I want every single, this is a test, I want every single one of you to stop and think about this. This is serious. And when somebody's ready, when somebody's Wonderful. Good. Thank you. Somebody else. Yes. Enjoy being around people who can think for themselves. Somebody else. How would you describe this church in about a sentence? This this faith. Respect and support each other in the search. Yes. That's right, a place our children can come to without being taught they're going to burn in hell. We don't have to think alike to love alike. Richard? It's really kind of hard to explain when you join me this Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Somebody else? Now, this is worth thinking about, folks. Because if you were to invite someone to come along with you to church, their next question might be, yeah, why, why bother? Why should I bother? What, what will happen there? What, what, what's so special about that? You know, I've been to church lots of times. Why should I bother to come to your church? I want you all to be ready. I want everybody who is going to promise me who will be ready when that question is asked to raise his hand. Come on, Scott, raise your hand. I mean, this is serious stuff. We're talking about congregational growth. We're talking about why we're here. We're talking about the spirit that moves each of us to be here, to be with one another, to bring to this community something very, very, very special. And that we will share with everyone. And we will be able to tell people why it is so wonderful. Okay?
Could we, as a congregation, be characterized as a hearty church? And what would that hearty church look like? Healthy. Well, how about our commitment? Do we have a strong sense of purpose here? Do we know what we stand for as a congregation? And are we involved in the community in working to improve the world? Are we active rather than passive? Are we proactive rather than reactive? By the way, uh, the new issue of the UU World is out. And on page 50, 52, there's a whole column devoted to the GINA effort. And we are mentioned in that uh, column in the UU world, and Henry Walker is mentioned. And so I would like for you all to make sure that you read your copies of the UU world. Folks, we is on the map. And you put us there. What about our sense of ability to make a difference? Do we feel a sense of power and ability to influence and a willingness to take responsibility for what we do? And more important, how we do it? Do we feel that there is hope that we can make a difference? If we make mistakes, are we willing to admit them? To learn from our mistakes? And use that learning to expand our identity and sense of who we are and what we are as a congregation? How do we react and respond to the challenges of change and the need to adapt? Is it scary? Is it threatening? How willing are we to consider new ways of being together as a congregation? Are we tied to the past? And if so, what would it take to set ourselves free? Are we fearful of new ideas or possibilities that might involve change? Or do we think of change as an adventure, a challenge, and an opportunity to learn and to grow? Are those, and I'm sure there are, are those among us, are there those among us who feel lonely, rejected, or not supported? How much effort do we make to comfort them? How much effort do we make to ensure that visitors feel welcome? Do we go up to the person standing by herself at coffee hour and engage her? Do we leave all the caring to the caring connection? Or spend our time at coffee hour visiting only with the people we know best? Are we accepting rather than simply tolerant? Do we help to connect people in the congregation with others who have similar interests? If we are a hearty congregation, then we'll be able to move forward with resolve, assured of who we are, what we stand for, and with a strong sense of commitment to each other, to the children and people of Shreveport and Bossier, and to our social justice projects that extend our influence and good works into the larger world, and God knows they need it. We have a lot of dedicated, devoted members who care deeply about this church, 
who demonstrate that dedication, devotion, and caring with their gifts of time, work, and money. But we also have several committees begging for people to serve on them. We need a more active social justice committee to look at opportunities to serve and to decide on where to focus our energies. I, the minister shouldn't decide that. The office shouldn't decide that. We should have a group of people who decide where to focus and what you want to do. We're off to a good start with our involvement with interfaith congregations, and we need more people to support that effort, which has just reactivated its education task force. Y'all remember that Gina prayer meeting when Henry Walker talked about the teaching tolerance program that's sponsored by the Southern Poverty Law Center? Y'all remember that? Well, the local interfaith group is studying the teaching tolerance program now, studying those materials with a view to suggesting them, once more, to the Caddo Parish schools. It takes time to study and have those discussions, but this project is moving right along. We need more people to come to church and make the commitment to join this church. We need for you to speak up and speak out for this church wherever you go. Goodness knows every Baptist in town does. Every one of you is a minister. Do not forget that for a moment. Every one of you is a minister. Let your ministry extend past your own home and family into the larger community. Invite your friends to come to church, and when they do, introduce them proudly. Invite your friends to participate in our adult religious education programs and to Thursday night suppers. It's really great if you have a family not to have to cook on Thursday night. Invite singers to join our choir. Let everybody know you're proud to be a Unitarian Universalist. Are you proud to be a Unitarian Universalist? I want to hear it. All right. We come from a long line of free thinkers, heretics and martyrs, but be proud to tell your friend about Francis David's statement, we don't have to think alike to love alike. Man, that's hard to put into practice. It's easy to say, hard to practice. Talk about the challenges of living up to that statement. Our records show that just about the same number of people come to visit All Souls because they found us on our wonderful website as do people who have heard about us from their friends. Be proud to ask your new neighbors if they found a church home yet. We need for all of you to decide how much this church means to you and to put your money where your hearts are. Individual and collective commitment brings joy and a stronger sense of purpose and reason for being. If we are a hearty congregation, we'll be able to look back individual and collectively to take responsibility for our respective roles and actions and learn from them. We will not feel powerless. We will not feel constrained. We will not feel hopeless. We will not feel discouraged. We will have courage. We will acknowledge our pain and frustrations. We will acknowledge that it is difficult in the framework in which we live. It is difficult in the forest of fundamentalism to be a beacon of light 
and liberal religion. We will intentionally avoid, work, avoid the trap of blaming others. So easy. Is there anger in and among us? So, is there anguish? Is there disappointment? Sadness? Frustration? I've seen and heard all these emotions. Those of us who hold those feelings need to work through them toward ultimate reconciliation, forgiveness, and free ourselves to move on to new work. A hearty church can take responsibility, can take control, can learn, and can move to a new level of resolve and accountability and confidence. We have nothing to apologize for. I want you to say that with me, folks. We have nothing to apologize for. We have a right to be here. We carry on a proud proud and fine tradition. We may be buffeted by external winds and we may bend to the wind but we will stay on course. The course that reflects our values and sense of who we are. I've heard it said that this congregation will never change I've heard it more than once. I've heard it said that All Souls wants to remain a small church where everybody knows everybody else's name and that the resolve is not there to grow in number or to expand and enrich the congregation's self-concept and identity. That we kind of like being below the radar. And it's easy to be below the radar and in the woods <coughs> tossing pebbles out. That's not what makes a great church. To be a great church, we have to get out of the trenches, above and into the radar to be visible, to be proud, to be seen, not to apologize for the fact that we have heretics in our past. I don't know. Maybe it may be your preference to remain small, and if that's what people want, that's what you'll do. That's very comfortable. It's kind of a family-type deal where everybody knows everybody else. And that would go if we got to be much larger. I've heard that this congregation fears change and finds it uncomfortable to find new ways of operating and governing. I've also heard just the opposite. I've heard that the leaders in this church are eager to change. I've seen willingness to experiment and to try new approaches to leadership. I have heard visionary statements and noted visionary thinking that will bring change. And I've heard it from you, and you, and you, and you. So there's 
an undercurrent of something going around, going on, you know? And that will gel at some point. I've heard and felt a sense of challenge that knows no fear. The sense of challenge that enjoys new adventures and calls for determination and patience to see changes through, step by step. And it's that step-by-step follow-through that engraves our mark. If we're a hearty church, our souls, our all-souls community will truly become a beloved community. Our community will continue to bring children and youth and adults together. The adults in our community will continue to share their wisdom and knowledge with our children and youth. This congregation will leave no one behind and will leave no one out. Okay? We will leave no one behind and we will leave no one out. In this community, no one will be marginalized. Our connectedness and love for one another will transcend and diminish our disagreements and disagreements we will have. But our connectedness, our sense of purpose and love for another, one another will transcend that. A hearty church is one that can transform conflicts into problems to be solved. Listen, problems can be solved. Not a problem. Easy. Any problem can be solved. Just about. Okay? What's important is to transform a conflict into a well-defined problem so that we can then solve it. Boom. Works. A hearty church community embraces diversity and respects differences of opinion. In a hearty church, the processes of resolving differences and solving problems results in greater respect and greater love and a genuine, wholehearted sense of community and connectedness. Now, resolving differences doesn't mean just cutting deals or unhappy compromises. Resolving differences results in a carefully considered consensus that may not please each individual, but will work for the larger majority. Just says something real important. Resolving differences results in a carefully considered consensus, I take time, that may not please each individual but will work for the larger majority and work for the church community and the congregation. We are, when we are not in the majority, we must have the respect and grace and appreciation for the larger group to buy into the larger group's will, not run off to the forest and throw pebbles. In a hearty church, all the eyes are turned into we. Living a hearty life can mitigate illness when people are stressed. And I believe that a hearty church is healthy because it has a collective sense of purpose and commitment, takes responsibility, accepts challenges, and stays connected with threads of love and friendship. This fellowship is invaluable. 
Now, all this stuff may sound simple, but the doing and the implementing is far from simple. It's not the most efficient way to make decisions or come to conclusions or even to do business. It's hard work. But it seems to me that hardiness in ourselves and as a church is worth a try. There's a spirit that emanates from us when we develop our individual sense of purpose and hardiness. A collective spirit that's palpable when we interact with others. People can feel it and see it, even though they may not be able to touch it or put their arms around it. Instead of being predictable to others, we think and feel more deeply about issues, try harder to become a peaceful, collective, problem-solving group. I think it would just be really fun to go to meetings and have people say unpredictable things. At most meetings, you can predict what they're going to say or what positions they're going to take. Wouldn't it just be grand and wonderful to have everybody just put all that past stuff in a bag when they come in the door and think about problems anew? Woo! Anyway, I think that'd be fun. The sense of satisfaction that results from the processes of coming together consensually builds confidence individually and collectively. It builds confidence. Self-assurance. Not arrogance, but confidence based on intentional experiences that flow. The confidence flows from us. And that confidence that we build glows with a special light. It becomes visible and discernible by others. It brings with it a spirited and cheerful sense of well-being. Others will see us, observe us, and want to be part of us if we go about this intentionally, strategically, and tactfully. If this happens, nothing can deter us. Nothing can divide us. We will grow in strength in number, in health, and most important, in love. Think on these things. Amen.